Hey there, church. Um, listen, I appreciate the ability to come to you this way this morning. Here's the deal. Um, Carrie and I were it, it, um, had lunch with someone who has tested positive uh, for coronavirus, and our family feels fine. We have no symptoms, but uh, felt like it would be wise for us to, to just stay quarantined a little bit. Um, until we're sure that uh, we aren't going to catch anything, because we certainly don't want to pass anything on to you. Uh, so whether you feel like uh, coronavirus is a great big deal or not, uh, maybe it's something that you're kind of just over. Maybe it's something that you're still wanting to, to quarantine and social distance to be safe. Um, for us and our family, we just decided that it would be best, and the elders decided that it would be best um, just out of love and, and respect for you as a body for us just to stay distanced. But I still wanted to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. I still wanted to be able to share from my heart uh, this next signpost that, uh, that God shows us in scripture. And so I'm just so thankful that we could do it this way. And I'm thankful for your patience, even though this is a little different than we normally uh, would do things. I will look forward to being back live with you next Sunday. Uh, but... Um, in the meantime, we're going we're gonna to proceed here. And so um, as we continue today, we're continuing in our Long Story Short series. And as we continue today, we are dealing with signpost number three. Now, the first signpost that we had a couple of weeks ago in this series is just simply this. God is real, and that God can be known, and he wants to be known. And then signpost two, as we're seeking to understand the story of Scripture and what God as the author has for us, signpost two is this. God created everything that exists, and he did it with purpose, and he did it for a purpose. And that brings us today to signpost number three. And signpost number three is simply this. We know it as the fall. Or, or theologians will call it the, the doctrine of original sin. And basically what this signpost is, this signpost is an answer to the question, what went wrong? You see, if signpost two is correct, which we know it is because it's in the word of God, that God creates everything and he says it is very good. And he creates this beautiful paradise, this perfection. And he tells mankind, you men and women, you are to, to tend the garden, conquer the earth, subdue it. You are primary over creation. And, and you are to, to rule over the rest of creation while walking intimately with me. Right? And it's very good. But we know, looking around our world today, that while there are some things that are good, I mean, there are some things that are great. There's a lot that's just fallen apart in our world. It's not working the way that God intended it to work. The promise of the garden is not happening in our lives today. Just in our own church body, our own folks that call Blessed Hope Community Church home, and, and, and the people that they are intimately involved with, just in the last month, we've had people diagnosed with debilitating illnesses with no cure. We've got people that are battling cancer. We've got, got people that have had emergency surgeries. People that are in chronic pain. People that are having heart surgery. We, we, we've got people that, that have um, died unexpectedly, suddenly. We've got the heartache uh, of marital 
distress and family relationships that are struggling. We've got financial struggles. We've got work struggles. We've got all kinds of mental health issues. We've got all of these things that are happening just in our own body and extended family here at Blessed Hope Community Church. And and we can see that the world isn't very good the way that God created it to be. Something has gone wrong. And, and on top of that, there's hurricanes and pandemics and all kinds of problems and, and, and forest fires and riots and all of these things. And we know that what we deal with here in the United States really pales in comparison to what the rest of the world deals with. And so ultimately, we, we can look back at this and we could say this signpost, understanding the signpost is so critically important because we have to be able to have an understanding. And God gives us one very clearly in Scripture about what went wrong. Because this is something that non-Christians will throw at us all the time. They say, you know what? There can't be a good God that allows bad things to happen. Because if bad things happen, then God must not be very good. And that's their most reasonable explanation for a world that's filled with evil, pain, and suffering. But here's the deal, church. We know that there's an answer. And we know that it isn't God's doing right? And so we're going to dig in today, and we're really going to understand this third signpost because it will help us understand how this got messed up. How did this place get so jacked up in the first place? And we're going to be able to talk about how do we understand natural disasters? How do we, how do we understand pain and suffering and hardship and physical distress and droughts and, and starvation? And, and pervasive evil that people do to each other. How do we understand all of that in the world? How do we reconcile that with a good God who wants to be known personally and who created everything with purpose and for a purpose? And what do we do to overcome evil? And we're going to deal with that in this signpost. And I really want to encourage you to dig in as we do this. And you know where we're going, right? You know as, we, as we've been walking through the story of Scripture in, in, in the first Um, book of the Bible, we've been talking about creation and God's self-existence. And you know the story, so you know where we're going. You know we're going to talk about Adam and Eve, and you know we're going to have a discussion about uh, a, a tree and fruit and temptation and, and their decision to take it and eat it and all of the consequences that come from that. But before we get there, we have to back up because I've had a lot of questions from a lot of well-meaning Christians uh, or people that are denying Christianity. And it centers around this. Look, if God knew that this was going to happen, if God knew that we were going to struggle, then, then, then why give the opportunity in the first place? You know, if, if that piece of fruit was really that big of a deal— then why did God cause it to grow on the tree? Better yet, why did God even cause the tree to grow? Right? Why? Isn't somehow the fact that it happened and that evil exists in the world, doesn't that somehow implicate God? Why did he choose to do that? And as we really start to understand this signpost, though, the doctrine of original sin, the fall, right, how it all got messed up, we're going to understand what it is that happened, and we're going to understand why it happened, and we're going to understand how God calls us to move forward from it. All right, so go ahead and open up in your Bibles. We're going to start in Genesis 2. We're going to be in verses 15 through 17. Let's just go. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely 
the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Right? And so what happens here is, is God has created everything, and he said, man, everything I created is awesome. It's great. And he's given man a, a, a mandate here, this cultural mandate, to tend, watch over the rest of God's creation. And he says to him, you can enjoy all of it. It's all yours to enjoy, except there is a tree in the middle of the garden. And it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you are to leave it alone. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. And so God sets the standard right away. And, and you know what? This is something that we shouldn't struggle with, right? Because God gets to set the standard. As the creator of everything, God necessarily gets to be the ruler of all things, Right? And, and we might look at that and we might think, well, that's selfish or that's mean. Or how is it that God's going to set these standards, these arbitrary rules? But, but that's not necessarily what's happening here. Right? What's happening here very clearly is, is God, as the creator, gets to set the standard to rule over everything. Think, think about it. You do the same thing. We just bought a new car at our house. Uh, on the way back from vacation, we got in an accident and... Um, it's a long story. I'll fill you in another time. But, but that car ended up being totaled. So we had to go shopping for a new car. Um, Carrie chose a, a Subaru Outback. It's a new car. She calls it a grown-up car. So she, as she drives it, she says, look, I'm a grown-up now. I have a grown-up car. Um, and she's decided, because it's a grown-up car, that um, the kids cannot eat or drink in the car. That's kind of just her standard. There is no eating or drinking that happens in her car because it's her first grown-up car, and that just is what it is. Okay, and you know what? They might grumble about it. They might argue about it. But really, she gets to set that standard because that thing belongs to her. So if they want to get in, they have to leave their food and drinks outside. And if that's a decision we get to make about a car then how much more does God get to make that decision about the entire world and universe that he's created? He creates it, so therefore he gets to set the standard. And there's something else that's really interesting in this text, right? There's an implication that we have to understand that not only does God get to make the standard, but mankind necessarily has a responsibility to obey. And if they have a responsibility to obey, now get this, this is, this is where this all starts to fall apart for us. If they have a responsibility to obey, what that means is they have a possibility of rebellion. Right? Of course they have a possibility of rebellion. They can rebel. They shouldn't because God creates everything and, and they know God and they've walked with God and they know that God is, is good. But, but yet he says, look, you can eat freely of all the, all the fruit and all the trees in the garden. But this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat from that fruit, you're sure to die. And so there's this idea that, that God is setting a standard and in setting the standard, he's, he's taking the extra step to tell them what will happen if they jack it up. If they break the standard, they will surely die. Now, we'll talk about what death means as we get a little further in the sermon. So, so don't get wrapped up there yet, but just understand this, right? The idea is that God is saying, if you choose to eat 
the fruit that I say don't eat, a consequence will come upon you, right? And, and the choice indicates that they have the responsibility to choose what to do. So they have the freedom of will. God sets the standard, but mankind has the responsibility to choose obedience. Now, you might start to wonder, and this is where I have a lot of conversations with people that say, Matt, why? Why did God give them the opportunity? Why did God give them the freedom to choose? If he knew they were going to choose poorly, why would he give them that opportunity? And I understand the question. And I understand the heartache. That question comes, excuse me, that question comes from sincere people with sincere struggles that are sincerely in agony over a broken world. Right? It's the illness that takes a loved one. It's the strife that dogs them day in and day out. It's the mental health issues that that come upon them so heavily. It's the worry and anxiety and fear for their children. Right? And so people that understand this signpost, that understand that, that we caused it to break and that we did something to break the world that God created to be perfect, they want to know why, if God knows everything, if God knew that was going to happen, why would he allow the possibility? Why would he allow the possibility? Why did he build into mankind the ability to choose right and wrong? Why did he build into us the ability to decide if we were going to obey or rebel? And the simple fact of the matter is this. God gives us the ability to decide because that's what it means to be human. The freedom of our will to choose to follow God or reject God. The freedom of our will to choose to walk in righteousness or to walk in darkness. The freedom of our will to choose to obey or disobey. That's part of what it means to be made in God's very own image. Look, in Genesis, the the creation story, right? Here's what we know, that God chooses to create in his image. The Lord God, this is in chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So God created him in his own image, right? That's what he says. Let's create man in our image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Why? Right? To reflect his glory. You know, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? We certainly don't look like God, right? Take a good look. This is not what God looks like, right? God isn't physical. He doesn't have shape or form. God is spirit. When we are made in the image of God, it doesn't mean that God has two arms, two legs, a a, a torso, a neck, a head. It's not what it means. When it says that we're made in the image of God, though, what it means is that we carry some of his communicable attributes in us. Some of, if you go back to week one, some of the things that we know about God, some of those attributes of God, the characteristics of God, they are found in us. He breathes those into us. As he breathed life into man, he breathed some of those attributes in him. So we can think, we can reason. Right? We can love. We can care. 
We can choose to demonstrate grace. We can choose to pursue righteousness and justice, right? We have the freedom of will to choose those things. And in choosing them, we bring glory to God in a way that no other created being does. This is what it means to be created in the image of God, to be the crown jewel of creation, to be the apex of his creation. We are made in his image. We reflect his glory in a way that no other creation does. But part of that, part of that means that we have the ability, the option of rebellion. And it started with Adam and Eve. He created them. He put them in the garden and he said, listen, I have made you this paradise. Roam, explore, conquer, cultivate. This world, this creation is yours. You are primary over it. It's all yours to enjoy except this one thing, this one choice. There is a tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It will grow fruit and it will look good. It will look delicious, but don't eat it. He says, I've made you in my image, which means you have the opportunity to reflect my glory. You have the opportunity to choose. Choose obedience. And in choosing obedience, there are all the pleasures that the garden has to bring. All the freedom of the garden. Choose obedience. And because they're made in the image of God, and because they have the freedom of will, God gives them the choice. And of course, you know what happens. They fall. Genesis 3 tells the story. You can pick up there, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. You know it well. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. That's Satan we're talking about. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruits from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Right? It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and that you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At the moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Here's the deal. Given the opportunity, the freedom of will to choose because they were made in the image of God, Adam and Eve failed. Satan comes along and challenges the very word of God and says, did God really tell you that you can't eat it? And she says, no, of course we can eat it. We just have to obey this one thing. And Satan then challenges. He says, you know what? Is it possible? Oh, and church, we do this every time we play with sin. Here's what Satan does. He, he, he pokes and he prods and, and, and he needles his way in and he does it in this way. He says, is it possible Eve, that God isn't really trying to protect you as much as he's trying to withhold something from you. You won't die. 
You won't die. God just knows that you'll start to know things that he knows. You'll start to be like him. You'll know good and evil and you won't need God anymore. You can be your own God. Is it possible, Eve? Is it possible that God doesn't have your best interests in mind? Is it possible that God is a limiting God, not a freedom-giving God? Is it possible that God is somehow trying to control you and not trying to let you live in freedom? Is it possible? And Eve, she fell right into it. And Adam, who was with her, fell right into it. They were convinced so they took it and they ate, right? And we, we do the exact same thing, right? They fell into this trap. Adam and Eve allowed themselves to be persuaded to the wrong view of freedom, right? They were persuaded to the wrong view of freedom, and it's what we experience in our lives all the time, right? There is this, this thing that happens in our world where we assume that freedom is to go out and experience that which God has forbidden, Right? God says no to something, and we say, well, we want to be free from the shackles of religion. We want to be free from the shackles of the church. We want to be free from the restrictions that God puts on us. We want to go out and experience the freedom and the joy of everything that God says no to, rather than fully experiencing everything that he created for our pleasure. That is the trap that Adam and Eve fell into. They said, you know what? We want to experience the awesomeness of the one thing God says no to while ignoring the awesomeness of everything God created for our pleasure. And so they took the fruit and they ate it. And as they ate it, that starts to shatter everything that God made perfect. Right? Signpost one. They, they knew the signpost. They knew that, that God is real and can be known. They knew it because they walked with him. Signpost two. They, they knew that God created everything. Adam was there as he formed the animals of the ground. And Adam, Adam experienced the, the joy of him forming the woman and bringing the woman to him. He says, at last, this one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Adam experienced that. He knew that God created everything with purpose and for purpose. But they were sure that somehow God was limiting them. And we, we do the same thing, man. We do the same thing. There's two views uh, for this, for, for people that are trying to live holy lives. There's two views. View one is this. We assume, and I know some church people like this. I know some church people that believe this is true. And they still try to choose right. They still try to live right. But man, it sucks for them because they hate it because they are sure they're missing out on something. Right? But the first view says this. God says no to good things because he's testing us. Because he wants to see if we'll choose him or that other good thing. And so we try to live right. If that's how we feel, we try to live right. We try to say yes to God and no to those other things. But in our minds, it's torture because we think those other things are so good. And if we could just have them, our lives would be complete. And if we could just taste them, then they would be so delicious and they would satiate our souls and they would truly satisfy us. But we try to say no because we want to follow God instead. But we still look at those things as good. But that's the wrong view. 
The second view is this. God says no to some things that seem good, but they aren't. God says no to things that look like they'll taste good, that look like they'll satisfy our soul. God says no to things that look like they'll be everything we've ever wanted, but they won't be. And he does it not because he's testing us, not because he's limiting us, not because he's robbing from us, but he does it because he wants what's best for us. He does it because he wants good for us. And he knows that if we taste, if we touch, if we see, if we go the wrong direction, he knows that ultimately it won't satisfy our souls, but it'll bring us to bankruptcy. It'll cause us pain and suffering. And you know what? We struggle with that. We struggle with that. A lot of us that are trying to live holy lives are doing it with a misguided understanding of why God says no. I promise you this, God doesn't say no to limit your pleasure. God says no because he knows what will bring you ultimate pleasure. And he knows the destruction that comes from sin. As parents, we should kind of understand that, right? What do we tell people about pornography? I mean, let's just, we'll, we'll talk about pornography. It's a blunt example, right? But we tell, we tell our kids, stay away from porn. It's dangerous. But our kids like porn. They're excited by it, right? The, the sex, the nakedness, they see it and it draws them in and, and they're hooked. And they look at it and they watch it and they think this is good and it stirs something in their being and, and they like it and they crave it. And so when we say, no, stay away from that, that's bad, they look at us, they, they, they think, but that experience is pleasurable and good. And so they think we're just saying no because we're trying to rob them of something. Because from, from what they can see, it looks like it's satisfying. But yet we know something, right? We know the debilitating long-term effects of pornography. We know that they devastate and ruin relationships and that it, it causes dependency and it causes unmet expectations and it causes relationship strife. And, and on and on and on, we're seeing all of these things that happens when we engage in pornography. And so we're saying, stay away from that. It looks good, but I promise it's not. And, but they don't see it that way. Right? And the, the same trouble they have seeing that, it, it's the same trouble we have seeing God when he says no. Think about it this way. Aubrey loves to take walks, and she really wants to do it in the dark of night. When it's pitch black outside, right? She wants to take these walks. And we say no. As her mom and dad, we say no. Right? And I know a lot of other moms and dads in the congregation or, or listening online, I, I know that they would say no too. Why? Well, because there are creeps out there. Right? There, there are bad people in this world sometimes. It's a broken world. Right? Abduction, trafficking, um, you know, abuse, all of these things happen. And so we say, no, 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 you're not going for walks alone at night. Right? She will look at that as we are somehow limiting this thing that she enjoys that would be awesome. But we are saying no, not because we want to rob her of a pleasure, right? But because we want to protect her. As Christians, we, we understand that when we're the ones that are trying to protect. But we fail to see it when it's God that's trying to, 
right? We always talk about it like it's a fence. God's laws are like a fence, right? But instead of enjoying the freedom to play in the yard and all of the pleasures that come from playing in the yard, what do we do? We long to hop the fence because we're sure that outside the fence is something awesome. Out of bounds, we're sure is something great. When truth is, it's just a busy intersection waiting to run us over. But Adam and Eve, man, they, they fall they fall for it. And they bite. And in doing so, they usher sin into the world. And it breaks everything. You can, you can see here what happens. Um, they hide, right, this feeling that they've never experienced before that was never supposed to be part of their experience. They eat the fruit and automatically what they thought would satisfy brings this awful feeling of shame and reproach. They're ashamed at their nakedness. Not just their, their physical nakedness, but their spiritual nakedness. And they point fingers at each other. They hide from God. And when confronted, uh, the man says, well, it was the woman's fault. Actually, God, it might be your fault because you gave me the woman and then she gave me the fruit. So I don't know who's to blame, he says, but it ain't me. Right? And she says, well, God, it can't be my fault. It's the serpent. And you created the serpent, so it might be your fault, but it can't be my fault. And they start pointing fingers at each other and everybody else. And ultimately, God's not having it because it's too late. Right? The deed is done. The act is finished. Sin has entered the world. And so God is having to deal with the fact that, yes, he created a perfect paradise. He created it with purpose and for a purpose, and that purpose was to bring him glory so that he could walk with mankind in lockstep and in beautiful relationship. But in making them in his image, he gave them the freedom of will, and the freedom of will meant that they had the responsibility to choose to follow or rebel. They chose rebellion, and no matter how many fingers they point, the choice is done, the deed is done. Rebellion has happened. Sin has entered the world. This is known as the fall. And so God gives consequences for this. Curses that happen because sin has entered the world now. Curses that happen. And it starts here in Genesis 3.16. He says, uh, he said to the woman, listen, here's what's going to happen. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. So, so in those two simple sentences, here's what he's telling the woman. You broke it. You broke it. And there's two things here that he's referring to. Uh, and we'll see more with Adam that are broken. One is that one, one of the things you broke is, is your body. Right? Now all of a sudden your body is going to be subject to this thing called pain. Because it's not going to work the way that it's supposed to work. He says, I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. In pain, you'll give birth. And you know what? We've experienced this. In pain, a lot more happens. Right? Some days, on bad days, it's in pain that we crawl ourselves out of bed. Because our bodies ache. It wasn't the way that God intended it to be. But now, because of sin and the curse that has come in, it physically does something to our bodies. They don't work the way that they were supposed to work. Where they used to be in perpetual perfection, now they are in perpetual decay. 
And there is a point, we know this, right? There is a point where we're born and we grow and we grow and we grow physically stronger, mentally stronger, sharper. But there's a point that comes where we stop growing and we start decay. It just happens. It's not supposed to. But God tells Eve and he tells us, this is a curse that you've brought on. Your body isn't going to work the way that it was designed to work because sin has now entered the world. Oh, and your relationships? Your relationships are going to be broken too. Right? You remember your husband? Soul of your soul, flesh of your flesh. The reason that somebody would leave his mother and father and the two would cling together and they'd be united in one flesh. You remember that love story? Now there's going to be strife in that perfect relationship. You'll desire to control your husband, but he will desire to rule over you, and there will be this tension in relationship. It won't be harmonious. And it's not just that relationship, but it's all relationships. They're broken. And he says this to Adam, to the man, he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, all your life, you're going to struggle to scratch a living from it. It'll grow thorns and thistles for you. Now, it's still going to grow food because I'm gracious. God is gracious, and it still will produce food. But now it'll grow thorns and thistles as well. And you'll eat from it. But by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. Because here's the other thing. You were made from dust. And from dust, you're going to return. So as God's sharing curses, he not only shares them with Adam, but he, or with Eve, but he turns his attention to Adam and he says, here's a couple other things you got to know. Not only are our physical bodies broken and our relationships are broken, but man, you broke the planet. That's what he's saying. You broke the planet. The planet was supposed to be perfect and it was in perfect stasis and it was going to provide everything for you. And you broke it. And so now, when you tend it, you're going to have to struggle, not just, not just to gather the food that God plentifully provides for you, but you're going to have to struggle, and it'll provide. But man, it's going to be a struggle and a fight. You're going to have to work hard to cultivate the ground. From the sweat of your brow, only by the hard work will you have food to eat. No longer will it just come to you. It'll produce thorns and thistles because you broke the planet. Oh, and here's the other thing. Adam, you're going to die. You weren't going to die. In perfection, you were going to live in perfect harmony with the God of the universe who created you on purpose and for a purpose. You were going to live in harmony forever. But now you're going to die. Right? For you were made from dust, and to dust you're going to return. And so this is the doctrine of the fall. This is the signpost that we have to understand. We say, God, why is the world in such turmoil? Why does evil exist? Why does all of this have to happen? Where are you when people struggle so badly with suffering and pain? Where are you? Are you really God? He says, yes, I'm God. Yes, I created it perfect, but mankind broke it. 
And the problems that we have are a result of this curse. It's the doctrine of original sin. And listen, it's not just for Adam and Eve, but it perpetuates with us. Right? It's all broken. Mankind is broken. Our bodies physically don't work the way they used to. Cancer, disease, dementia, arthritis, old age. Listen, how many times have we said uh, with grandparents or parents as they age or loved ones or people in the church, we, we, nobody gets out of this life alive anymore because physically we are broken. We are in decay. That's the curse of sin. God didn't do that. Signpost 3 tells us God didn't do that to us. His creation wasn't flawed, but sin brought it on ourselves. The world is broken. Hurricanes, droughts, floods, famines, starvation, windstorms, wildfires. Great loss of life and tragedies throughout the world because of the, the, the world physically rebelling. Well, God didn't cause a broken physical world. He created a perfect world. But signpost three tells us that because of the sin of humanity, the world is now broken. And morality is broken. Morality is broken. The way we interact with one another, our relationships with one another. People do evil to other people. Why? Because sin in the world. God didn't do that. God didn't create people that would murder one another, rape one another, abuse one another. I talk to people all the time who've suffered terrible abuse at the hands of their parents or caregivers. I've talked to people who who have suffered terribly uh, from people violating them. They say, why? Why? Why would God create a world like that? Listen, God did not create a world like that. A proper understanding of signpost three tells us that even though God created a world perfectly, we, humanity, ushered in sin, and we broke it. And we see it play out in Scripture, right? It's the next chapter of Scripture, Genesis 4. What do we read in Genesis 4? Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel, and he murders him. Right? That's how quickly this all goes downhill. It's a perfect world. There is a God who can be known. He creates everything for a purpose, by a purpose. But then the fall happens, and Adam and Eve rebel against God. And from then on, it's a short walk to a messy world. It's a short walk to a messy world. Not even a generation later, Cain kills Abel because he's jealous. And then several generations later, things are so bad, and we'll talk about this a little bit next week, things are so bad that God brings a flood to wipe out the mankind he created, sparing only Noah and his family. It's a short walk, right? But God didn't cause it. Mankind caused it. And we have to wrap our heads around that. We have to come to grips with that because we can't misunderstand the wrong that happens in the world around us. It's not God's doing. But here's the truth, right? 
Here's the truth. While it's not God's doing, God does care about it. We're going to see that as we get to next week's signpost, where we start to see the hope of redemption, right? Because God is not satisfied with the brokenness of of the human race now. God is not satisfied with the brokenness of our physical bodies. God is not satisfied of the brokenness of our relationship with him. God's not satisfied with the brokenness. So he's going to start to do some things to redeem it and bring hope. But here's the thing I want you to know as we finish today. Here's what I have to have you understand. While God didn't cause it, he is not absent from it. Okay? Instead, what we're going to see as we get to these signposts, as we tackle these things, is that while God isn't the author of all of these problems, he is still in control. While he is not the creator of a world that has been broken by sin, he is still in control of this world. And he is going to go to great lengths to save it and us. And he's going to do that through the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'd have you know as we close. And if you are struggling with pain, if you are struggling with suffering, if you are struggling with the heartache of the decay of, of, of someone that you love and their body shutting down and it just not working right, if that's happening in your own life, if you're struggling with illness and disease that won't go away, if you're struggling with the heartache of people that have been morally against you and hurt you, Listen, God didn't cause that, and he absolutely cares about it, and he has a plan to redeem it. Now, I'm skipping ahead a lot of signposts here, but we're going to see this thread weaved all throughout Scripture. His plan is Jesus Christ. God wants to fix it through Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus Christ not to avoid the pain, but to get knee-deep in the pain, in the brokenness, the physical brokenness, the moral brokenness, the the brokenness of the world, to get knee-deep in it and throw you a lifeline. And so I want to encourage you that if you're struggling, that God has not abandoned you in this mess. God loves you. And he came to get you in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know more about what that means, then I want you to talk to one of the elders. Talk to Pastor David uh, this morning. You can talk to me uh, back in my office next week. But, but I, want you, I want you to have a conversation with us because God loves you so much. I promise you he's not left you alone, but he's given you Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. And we just thank you for helping us to understand this signpost. The fall. The way that humanity broke your perfect world. God, it's so important for us to understand this because we we need to know that you created a perfect existence. You didn't cause this. You weren't allowing this to happen out of spite. We ushered in this world of brokenness and pain and suffering. We did that. But God, you did not choose to stay separate from it, but you stepped into this broken world in the person of Jesus Christ to offer us hope. Father, thank you for sending your one and only son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be rescued and redeemed out of this mess by believing in him and turning our lives over to him. 
God, we thank you for helping us understand this truth, and we thank you for helping us understand the way that you've pursued us throughout the words of the Bible. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.